Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode 25. The Silver Anniversary! Buy me a platter. I feel like this is kind of a big episode for most people. A quarter of the way to a hundred. That's a big deal. Time for a quarter-life episode crisis? I guess so. Stay tuned. I, I don't know if that's a thing people do, but we can try it, right? Well, we are making a little bit of change this episode. That's very true. This is episode 25 of the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton, I am your host, and with me today, my co-host and lovely wife, Haley. Hello there, I am lovely, thank you. It is cold today in Oklahoma. Very, very cold. I think when I drove to work, it was 36 degrees? Yeah, and it, like, last week, it was, what, in the 70s on Monday? I think so, and it's only October 15th, so for some reason, we're having a short cold spell. I think it's because of Hurricane Michael. I think a lot of those weather systems are making their way downtown. Walking fast, paces fast, and I'm homebound. Gotta hate you. It is very cold compared to what it has been lately. And I think it's going to warm up a little bit by the end of the week. However, it's cold. And I have a hoodie on, and I have some tights on, basically like leggings, and I have a shirt, and it's just... Um, we call them long johns. I am bundled up because it's stinking cold in my house because I don't want to turn the heater on. Because I don't want to pay the electric bill. Because he's a cheap old bastard. I am a cheap old bastard. Our electric bill in this house has always been very high, and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. We had almost a $300 bill last year in the summer. So new thermostat installed along with warmer temperatures in the house has helped lower that. So if I don't have to run it, I'm not going to for as long as I can. I just, I can't stand that huge bill. This is how I die. Yeah, Haley gets really cold very easily, so she has to bundle up extra and wear some blankets. And my fun kitty socks. I need you to post a picture of these socks because I feel like the world needs to appreciate how wonderful they are. Not only do they have kitty paws, they have kitty faces and they have kitty ears that extend from the top of the sock and they are glorious and I have five pairs and I am wearing them. I bought her some cat socks for Christmas one year and she wears them literally all the time, every day of the week if she can. If the laundry's done, of course, which is... That's something we're doing twice a day, every day, basically, it feels like. If they're done, and if I can find its brother in the laundry pile. That's the hard part, because we have a laundry pile of multiple loads, and our socks get all mixed around, and it sucks. And we're really behind this week, because why, Delton? We are behind this week, because A, we're lazy, B, we had a wedding this weekend, but C, last weekend was TokenCon, which was Oklahoma's very first board game convention. Now, the Oklahoma board game community put this on, and they even brought Rodney Smith down from Canada as the special guest, and he just played games with everybody. They had different tickets to play games with him, and then he walked around in his free time and played games with other people just around the little convention. Delton wished him a happy Canadian Thanksgiving. I did. I've heard that Thanksgiving is not that big in Canada like it is in America, but I still wished him a happy Canadian Thanksgiving, even though I didn't say Canadian when I told him that. Either way, it was nice to talk to Rodney for the quick second we got to. It was implied. Implied Canadian. It was implied Canadian. He is the Canadian. The convention was very cool. It was very small. I think they only had about 300 tickets, and I think they didn't sell all of them, but they were just shy. They had a large game library, thanks to Loot and XP out of Norman. What's up, DC? You're my friend. Yep, DC is one of the owners of Loot and XP. And then they had a little vendor hall with all of the local shops set up in there selling their stuff. So we had some people I've never heard of that had really cool 3D printed like dice towers and dice holders 
some other people that had these cool loot boxes, and then some people that had t-shirts and player mats and game mats and dice and stuff like that. So that was really neat to see everybody. It wasn't a huge room, but there was enough stuff to go in there and spend some money. Which luckily we didn't, which is very surprising. I know, I was very shocked. Now we did come away with a little gum-sized gym game. Yeah, so we got, uh, I don't think, I can't think of what they're called. Like pocket games, they, it looks like a gum stick. They've got multiple ones, and this one is, I think, number 10, which is Jim. We haven't played it yet, but it was free, so that was really cool. They had a little swag bag that had our t-shirts that we bought, and some, like, free day passes at um, some of the local gaming cafes and things like that. So that was really awesome. And I got some magic cards. We did. We got some little magic card decks. We got to try Gizmos, which was one of the big games at Gen Con this year, put out through Simon. And it was actually really good, the little engine builder with the marbles. actually really liked it, and I've been thinking about that one and how I'd like to play it again sometime soon. I didn't get last place, did I? I don't remember. Normally with those engine building games, it takes me about a game to get good at it. But I don't think I came in last place in that one. I don't think you did. I barely won, right? Or did I win? I don't know. Gates, help us. Yes, Gates came down. We let her use our guest room, and she hung out with us all weekend. We got to meet a lot of her friends and people that she knows and played games with and everything. We also stayed up until 4 a.m. on Saturday, and I ain't no spring chicken no more. No, 4 a.m. was super early, and then the next night we were up late again before work. Like whenever I was 19, I used to be able to stay up all night long, stay up till like 4 or 5 in the morning, sleep two hours, go to class, eat some sugar, go run three miles, go do hood rat stuff with my friends, come back and still stay up till 4 a.m. and do more hood rat stuff the next day. But I didn't realize how far removed 26 years old is from the age of 19 because it has taken me about eight days to recover from that one Saturday night. I know, we're just old farts and my back hurts. I slept for 12 hours yesterday and I feel like I have finally caught up on that Saturday night staying up late swapping manly stories. It has definitely taken a lot of sleep to try to even feel slightly like we're caught up on our sleep after that whole weekend of just gaming and mental exhaustion from gaming, which was awesome. And waffles. And waffles. Some awesome Belgian waffles that I made. Ding, ding, ding. I'm the Belgian waffle maker extraordinaire. What are we drinking today, Del? So, Gates was kind enough to bring us some beers from Minneapolis, where she moved. Uh, One of the beers we're going to drink today is from Wisconsin. The other one is from Minneapolis, Minnesota, where she lives. So we're going to start with the Minneapolis beer this episode. So this beer is Fulton Sweet Child of Vine. It is a northern India pale ale, it says. It is made, like I said, in Minneapolis. It doesn't really tell me a whole lot, but the brewery has their little slogan thing, which says, Ordinary Guys Brewing Extraordinary Beer. So we're going to give this one a try and see if it's any good. All right, so take a good whiff of this one and tell me what you smell. I can definitely smell the citra hops. Well, honey lemon. Honey lemon? Mm-hmm. It smells like honey lemon. I just smell the citra hop basically exclusively in this. Haley's tasting it now. Let's see her verdict, her tiny sips that aren't even really a sip. It's a half a sip. That's not bad. It's pretty gentle. I feel like most of the hops in this one are the aroma. They don't have a lot of bittering hops. It's that sweet honey taste. A little citrusy honey. Like orange blossom honey. Maybe. I don't know. It's good, though. I have no problem with this at all. It's pretty light. I expected something heavier, but I don't know what a northern IPA is supposed to be. 
So there has to be some style difference than a regular IPA, or definitely different than a West Coast IPA, which are hop to the extreme. Speaking of which, I've got my first Walmart wine since the liquor store, or since the liquor laws changed. We did. We went to Walmart after TokenCon, and Haley and Gates got wine because we can do that now. And it's not Boone's Farm. It's a $2.97 bottle of Pinot Grigio that tastes like rubbing alcohol and syrup. But you know what? It got the job done. That was the most disgusting wine I've probably ever <laughs> had. It was really bad. It was totally worth the $2.97. I'm glad you thought so. That's... It wasn't even the cheapest wine at Walmart. There was one that was for $1.50, but they were sold out. Thank goodness for that, because that would have been... I would have rather have drank rubbing alcohol than a cheaper wine than that. Speaking of rubbing alcohol, that is something probably used in the setting of this episode's game. Oh, here's the door. Uh, uh. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. That was terrible. You're terrible. <laughs> so this week's episode, we are taking into consideration a little bit of feedback we received from our friend Ben Canellos. So he gave us a little bit of feedback on our game presentation. So y'all hold on to your hats and let's listen to Delton. The game today has been supplied to us by Hub Games as a review copy. Now, we do have a video review up on YouTube when this episode releases. It's going to be a shorter look into the game, but you'll see some visuals there. So if you want to watch that, it shouldn't be too long. We haven't recorded it yet, so I don't know how long it is exactly, but it will be on YouTube. I'm betting it's going to be four minutes and 53 seconds. Excluding the outro, that sounds accurate. When the outro gets put in, it's going to be closer to six, probably. But if you want to see some visuals, you can go watch that on YouTube. And this is going to be the little bit more in-depth talk. And on the video, I will plug the podcast. So if you're coming from the video, thank you for watching. And hopefully you enjoy this more in-depth look at the game. So, holding on, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr. This is a game published by Hub Games out of Belfast in Northern Ireland. So, holding on is designed by Michael Fox and Rory O'Connor. It is illustrated by Bryn Jones, with the story being by Rory O'Connor. The writers are Rory O'Connor and Glenn Patterson, and then the graphic design is by Winnie Sheck. So Holding On is a cooperative game where everybody plays together as nurses in a hospital. The story starts that Billy Kerr is a man about the age of 60. He hops on an airplane from Australia to fly to the UK has a massive heart attack, so the plane is forced to land and take him immediately to a hospital where he can try to get some help, where they can try to keep him alive. So the very, very first scenario of this game, it is a game with 10 different scenarios. The first one, you are trying to find out a little bit about Billy and see if he has any family to contact and things like that. So it's a cooperative game, just like any other cooperative game you have played. But something that's different about this one is one player every turn plays as the head nurse. This change is really nice and very welcome for us because what it does is it gives one person the ability to say, well, I'm the head nurse, I'm making this decision. And what the head nurse does is during the day of the game, there are going to be three different shifts, a morning shift, an afternoon shift, and a night shift. The head nurse can assign what nurses go to those shifts The nurses that are assigned to each shift get to decide whether they give Billy physical care, which means either healing him some or preventing the loss of life, 
or if they give him palliative care, which is how you discover memories or more of Billy's story. So something that's cool about it is the head nurse gets to delegate who goes where, and they can talk with the other players and find out, you know, oh, you've got more care tokens, which is like the currency used to give care and find memories. So the head nurse can talk to all the different players and find out like, okay, Haley has more care tokens, which is the currency used to give care, physical or palliative, to find these memories out and things like that. And the head nurse gets to decide, though, who goes where. But something I like even more than the head nurse delegating other players, which helps prevent some quarterbacking. Helicopter parenting. Or helicopter parenting, as Haley calls it is that the players who are assigned to the different shifts are the ones who have to make the decision. Technically, if you follow the rulebook, with no communication with anybody else except for who's in that room. So if Haley is assigned to the morning shift along with an assistant, she gets to make the decision of, do I prevent Billy from losing life because he's having a hard day? Or do I sit and talk to Billy and find out part of his story? It reminds me of the first time I saw a client by myself. Like you're in that room alone with your client, like about to do the intake, and you're like, man, man, man they're, they're really trusting me to do this, aren't they? Y'all, why y'all trusting me? You're just all by yourself making it's that decision? For the first time, you're just making that decision. That's what kind of reminds me of playing this game. You kind of <laughs> get that same feeling like, all right, they just, the head nurse just put me into this room with this patient. You know, do I talk to him or do I provide care? What do I do? Am I going to cause this person to die? Which in therapy, you don't do that. Thank God. Of course. But it's that same emotional feeling you get. Like, what do I do? What does this person need right now? Definitely. And it's, it's hard to judge because um, something, and the designers have talked about this in this game, to be able to find out more about Billy's life, you have to take the palliative route. So each shift, as I said, the nurse is assigned to that shift can either do physical care or the palliative care where they find out more of his story. His story comes to you in two ways. First, it comes to you in a partial memory card. So a partial memory card is going to be a fuzzy depiction of a scene with Billy being the only clear image on that card. It starts to set the timeline for Billy's life. You can later go for clear memory cards, which is actually going to be a way that you achieve the goal of each scenario. But those clear memory cards are going to have the full scene illustrated, so that way you can see exactly what's happening. And to be able to get those partial memory cards, you have to neglect Billy's physical care. And that is such a hard decision to make in this game, because if you neglect Billy's physical care, he's going to lose life. He's going to become more sick, and he's going to get closer to dying. But you are finding out part of his story, helping him with the troubled life that he's lived, but also... It's just, it's just this hard line to cross of, okay, we, he's got to lose some life. We need some of these memory cards. We got to find out more. We have to find out more. And then pretty soon, Billy's hanging on by a thread. And instead of finding out these memory cards and talking to Billy, you really want to help Billy's health. You want to keep him alive. And it's really hard to find the line of when do we decide his health is worth more than his story, which is a really fun, I say fun element. It's an entertaining element in the game, but it is definitely a hard one for some people, I would think. So we had the honor of being able to learn this game from Michael Fox himself. Yes. At Sweet Boy Michael. Very sweet boy, indeed. We had the honor of learning it from him. And he said that whenever he has demoed this game for players in European countries, that they are more likely to neglect 
the physical care in exchange for getting more of Billy's story. However, he said that whenever he demos this game for American audiences, that we Americans are more likely to neglect getting his story in exchange for keeping Billy alive throughout the rest of the game. It really shows that our different healthcare systems and different ways that we're taught come out in the way we play this game, which is crazy. I think a lot of our views on death as well. From what I kind of gather from that is that Americans more look for the longevity of life, whereas Europeans might look more towards the quality of life. I could 100% see that. Definitely. And that's one of those interesting things that people are finding out when they play this game. So that's another thing that just makes this game unique and different than other cooperative games you've played. One thing, as you can already tell, if you haven't watched our review, we mentioned this, that the theme of this game is heavy. This is a heavy theme. This is a real theme. For some people, this theme is not going to be fun. This is not going to be a game they want to play. It's not going to be a story that they want to explore. And whether that be just simply likes or dislikes or personal life experience, it just might not be for them. So definitely, before you bring this to your game group, make sure to ask everybody that they're going to be all right with playing a game that's focused around a a man who's hanging on to life and kind of explain it to them. It's going to be, you know, something that's kind of difficult. This game is enjoyable, but it's also very thought-provoking and very emotion-invoking. Yes, this game, as you find these stories out from Billy's life, these memories, these different cards, you start connecting dots of what he's done in his past, who he was in his past, who he's met. So for an example, now we're trying not to spoil anything in the game. We don't want to spoil a single memory of this game because that's a lot of the fun is finding out what's happening, slowly making these connections and finding more and more out. One game, you might see an image of Billy with his pet goat, Wilfred. And they're just walking in a park. And you're like, cool, Billy's walking in a park with Wilfred. Hashtag fake goat. Hashtag fake goat. And then later on down the road, in another one of Billy's um, stages of life, you might see Billy next to a headstone that says, here lies Wilfred. If you see those separately, you're not going to make much connection. But as the game progresses and you uncover more of these memories, even if they're out of order and non-sequential, you'll slowly make connections like, oh, This is the stage of his life that he lost his pet goat, and this is the stage that he got his pet goat. So you can see those transitions start to connect and happen. Spoiler alert, goat dead. (laughs) Yes, in that one, the goat would be dead. But that's one of our favorite things about this game is how it ties the story together, but in these pieces, these fragments that you slowly uncover, that's so far been the best part of this game. Mechanically, the way the mechanics of it work, where the head nurse flips over the morning shift, tells some nurses, hey, you guys are going to work here. Then those nurses communicate and determine if it's physical care or palliative care. Then the day shift comes. Something else that we like about this game is that all the mechanics tie in thematically so, so very well. If the second shift takes three nurses, so all the shift cards can take one, two, or three nurses. If the second shift takes a full three nurses, you can move two nurses onto it. Let's say you had them in the break room, so you put two nurses out to work. Well, if you don't want to put another one out, you can take someone from the morning shift and make them work a double moving into the day shift, but they're going to take a stress. And when you take stress, you either forget some of the things Billy has told you, which are the cards you haven't revealed since it's not the end of the round, if you've uncovered any, or you lose care tokens. You're stressed out, and you are physically becoming 
unable to perform as much care as you could before you were stressed. You need hashtag self-care. You need to be sent home for the day on the next day. Watching Grey's Anatomy and eating Cheetos. <laughs> That's exactly. That's probably how nurses relax. They just watch shows about basically what they do, just super dramatized. But that's one of the cool uh, mechanics that we like about this game is the stress mechanic. And everything in this game ties into the theme so well. You're talking to Billy, looking for memories, and then suddenly Billy, you hit an event card and Billy decides to be quiet. He's not in the mood to talk anymore. And that just makes sense that it's an old man in the hospital. He's hurting. He's having a hard time. And you're just sitting there talking to him. And pretty soon he's, you know what, he's done. And that makes sense. And the way people gain stress makes sense. If somebody gains too much stress, they have to go home and miss the whole next turn. That makes thematic sense. Everything in this game, so far, has made sense. And it's so nice to see that in a game, especially a cooperative game, where it's not just use so many actions, take some cubes from over here and flip another card. It feels to be a little more than that. I think a lot of that, along with the components being according to theme, is the emotions that you feel while you're playing the game. So whenever we played this with Michael at Gen Con, he said, you haven't fully played Billy Kerr unless you've cussed him out twice and cried once. And we have cussed him out a lot. And you get kind of teary-eyed sometimes. Yes, you do. I think, I know when we played it at Gen Con, we both got a little, little emotional. But once while we are playing it, it really, it hurt. It does. When you, when you start a new scenario or you finish one, you uncover a larger part of the story. It's more about how Billy's doing, what he's telling you, and how he's talking to you. And, and how he feels about it looking back on his life. And those can be very emotional, and they can be something that's kind of like a, a tearjerker. I mean, it really can. One of the things that's neat about this is as you finish those scenarios and learn more about Billy, Billy also learns more about himself. Those scenarios are slowly going to change a little bit at a time. One scenario may just be you want to find out a whole bunch about Billy's life in little spurts. You want and to about find his out, goat. You want to find out about when he first bought his goat. You want to find out when his goat passed away. You want to find out when he told his kid about his goat. That kind of stuff. But then other scenarios are going to say... His kid about his kid. Oh my god, yes, because baby goats are kids. We get it. Ha! And then some other scenarios are going to say, we just want to know nothing but the good times with the goat or the bad times with the goat. Or we want nothing to do with the goat in this scenario. And it's going to force you to break out and learn different pieces of Billy's life. And it just does such a great job. I mean, it really does. Everybody works together. But the best part is we're all invested. You get sucked into the story of this game. You really get to dive in and make connections. And one of the coolest things, I mean the coolest things, and this was from the designers. Every place, every event... Every sign, every word, every piece of writing in the artwork is based around a real place, a real event, a real something. And so that's always really cool because it makes sense. If, if he bought his baby goat in, you know, the center of Paris, it's going to say, like, there's going to be the Eiffel Tower. It's going to be a real place. This ain't Gary Delton. Not all downtown sell goats. You never know what Paris does. Paris. Oui, oui. It's okay. I'm really bad at French. It's fine. I don't know anything more than that, actually. S'il vous plaît. There we go. That's for Allison. By the way, thank you, Allison, for being our awesome Patreon backer, which is why you get a shout out every podcast. If you want to be like Allison, 
Patreon.com slash Malthouse Games. Be awesome like Allison. Not a possum like Allison. Fantastic like Allison. Not plastic like Allison. That was really bad. Thank you. I wrote it myself. <laughs> that was really bad. Oh my gosh. Holding on, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr has been a fantastic game so far. We have loved it. It's a fun cooperative experience. The quarterbacking is severely cut down because the way the game forces it to be. Helicopter parenting. Helicopter parenting is cut down severely. The memories that you uncover, the story that unfolds in front of you, it changes scenario to scenario. Some of them are difficult. Like every cooperative game, you're going to lose. And it's going to be frustrating for some people, like me. It won't be as frustrating for others like Haley. It's just one of those games. I'm used to clients not talking. Where'd you come in today? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, one thing with this game is the artwork is very good on these cards. It's an interesting style, very, I feel like, broad strokes and stuff, but it's very interesting to look at. It's, I think it's very well done. It's very beautiful. The graphic design in this game and the coloring, I think, is my favorite part of all of that because, to me, it mimics what you want out of a hospital setting. It's clean, it's simple, and it all makes sense. It's got a nice muted palette, so it's not too vibrant. It's not oversaturated on color. It's not going to blind you. I don't know how it's going to play for people who are colorblind. That's definitely a consideration here is, can I see these colors? That's something you have to look at before you completely dive into the game. I hope that it's better than some and that it's one that colorblind people can play. But I personally love the graphic design of the game. All the tokens make sense. All the icons make sense. There's a little reference for a couple special icons on the event cards in the different decks. But all in all, fantastic production, fantastic game. We've really, really enjoyed it so far, and I cannot wait to finish it out. But I'm also going to be sad because once it's done, and me and Haley talk about this a little in the review video, I feel like some of the allure of the game will fade away once I've uncovered the entire story, once I've heard how it ends. I feel like it's not going to be as exciting to jump back in for me but I still think it's going to be one worth keeping past that, even if it's just to show friends. See, and I disagree because I'll read the same book over and over again, like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I'll read it over and over and over again. I'll find a new appreciation for it. I feel like I'm going to have the same thing for Billy's life. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Like a good TV show, you're just going to watch it again and again, even if it makes you sad. Like the good episodes of The Office. Uh... Or like that one episode of Futurama with uh, Fry's dog. Stop it. <laughs> like the saddest Stop episode it. in the series. Not, we're not crying today. We're not crying we're not. today. Not crying today. I think that wraps up all the talk about holding on the troubled life of Billy Kerr from Hub Games. Definitely check this one out. Try it out first if it's still something you're not sure of. We really want people to play this game because it's really stinking good. Just, I don't know. We really love it. I think a couple more plays and this is going to topple Twilight Struggle is my favorite game. That's going to be amazing if it does, and we'll see if it holds there after a while, being a scenario-based game. But that's just going to, it's just going to be the test of time at that point, I guess. But it's very, very good. We highly recommend it. Now let's get more beer. Let's get some more beer and move into the topic today. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top-shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the second beer today, before we get into the topic, is from Central Waters Brewing Co. It is their Oktoberfest lager. This is the one from uh, Amherst, Wisconsin. So Oktoberfest, nice solid beer style. It's that time of year because it is October. 
Prost. And the German Oktoberfest has already happened, correct? Es ist passiert. Um Prost. Lass uns trinken. Um Prost. It tastes like an Oktoberfest. It does. A little bit of little bit of the wheat in there to get that kind of soury bit that Oktoberfest beers have. Little wheat, little sour, little sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good. That's a pretty solid one. I don't mind it so far. It's got a it got a thick mouthfeel to this one. That's More, what she said. Thank you. More so than I thought it would. That's what she said. You're disgusting. That's what she said. Oh my god. For the topic today, we wanted to talk about something that really has been inspired by holding on, or at least comes from holding on very strongly, which is going to be story in games. As we said before, holding on tells you a story, but it's in these pieces. It's in small pieces that you slowly connect as the game progresses. Other games are going to tell you a story in a much more linear path. It's going to be from point A to point B, you're going to get it, you're going to get the story as you go. But what is it about these storytelling games or games that just happen to have a story involved that makes them so much better than a game that would be the same thing without the story, if that makes sense? So if you played Holding On, but the story elements were not so strong, would the game be as good? I think mechanically, yes, it would be as good. But it might have a different audience it draws from. For example, well, I like the game because the story draws me in. It keeps me wanting to play, 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 play. If I don't win a level and I don't complete the one mission that this level calls for, then I immediately want to play it again. I could, even if I played this level, for example, level three, we've played it four times and I still want to play it because I still want to beat it. I still want to uncover this goal for Billy's life. And so the story draws me in more because it gives me purpose. It gives me purpose to play this again and again and again and again. Unlike something like Pandemic, where you play the base Pandemic and that's the base Pandemic. And you lose on the first round. <laughs> and you lose, on the, which we have done on turn two. But then there's something like Pandemic Legacy, where it has a story that unfolds and you build the story as you go. I think the difference here is where Holding On is not a legacy game. Everything is completely replayable in order out of order, whatever you want to do, where Pandemic Legacy, when you're done, you are done. That game is complete, and there's no point really in keeping it unless you want that memory to stay in that box. But Holding On's different than that, but that's another version of a storytelling game where if the, if the story was not there for Pandemic Legacy, you have base Pandemic, which is only so fun so many times before it starts to just become samey. You just get used to it. You know it. You kind of figure it out. And then that's it. And so that's one of the things with stories. The stories develop a game and they take them to the next level. Look at something like Time Stories. Now given, yes, Time Stories is a game where when you're done, you figured it out. You can't go back and play it again. However, the story is what makes Time Stories so good. The mechanics are so simple in that game. You play it so simply. It's easy. Everyone can just sit down and play and not really have any problems with it. But the story is what pulls you back. It's what, it's what keeps you coming back over and over again to beat that mission or scenario or whatever the time stories like modules are called. And so the story, again, is what makes that game so great. And I feel like story is something that is underused in games, but when it is used, it stands out significantly. Like time stories, Pandemic Legacy, Risk Legacy was a big one. That Ukraine is weak! One way to look at this is probably the most popular story game in the world is Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing games in a more generalized sense, that the entire point of that game is telling a story and taking players through it. 
And if you look at how many people play role-playing games and RPGs and D&D and Pathfinder and Call of Cthulhu and, you know, Fiasco, the amount of people that play these kinds of games is massive. But it's because the story is what keeps them there. You don't play D&D for the mechanics. You don't say, I love rolling dice. I love rolling a D20, adding my hit value, and then they roll a D8 and a this and that. Like, that's not why people play the game. Yes, that can be a fun element to it, but they play for the storytelling, right? And participation in that story. That's a big part of it. And so I feel like, again, story wins. My point is, story is very important in games. I love story in games. Now, don't get me wrong. I love games without a story. Even if it's just something like Gith. It's a two-player abstract game where you're against the other player. I friggin' love that game. But the experience of playing through a story, even if you can only play it once, like a legacy game, is really something that just keeps you there and you're gonna remember. I think that's something I love so much about when stories are done correctly. Right, it's like reading a book and then watching that book be turned into a movie. You know the story, but it's a different way to experience it. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Stories are good. They just, they draw you in, they suck you in, you put your heart into it, you get invested, and that's where you are. And they're good. So I say now, let's move into the question of the episode to finish this out. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games Podcast special bite-sized question. So the question of the episode today, what game has elicited an emotion from you based on mechanics or story, not someone being mean to you or something being frustrated for losing, but based on something within the game thematically or mechanically? Lowlands made me so mad whenever one of my sheep died. I was protecting them with every ounce of my being. I would never let an animal die in Agricola for food. Even if that means I have to take a beggar token. And by George, I had to lose one of my sheep last game, and I was so mad when I played Lowlands. But another game that really draws me in emotionally, and not through wrath, generally, or anger. <laughs> Maybe, depending on the play, right? Depending on the play, is Fiasco. Now, I love acting. I did uh, theater back in the day, all um, through college and all that fun stuff. I absolutely love getting into character. And I find whenever I play something like Fiasco, where you're making up your character and its personalities and its luck as you go, you really start to become involved in that character's life. And for me, I get so involved in it, I start to feel the emotions the character is feeling. I'm a method actor. I am Daniel Day-Lewis. I am Danielle Day-Lewis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just don't turn into him as Lincoln, please. Too late. Four score and seven years ago, our founders brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived with liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. I literally only know four score and seven years, and I literally know nothing else of that. So you've already surprised me by <laughs> how much of that speech you know. I had to memorize it in the fifth grade. I had to memorize the presidents in the fifth grade. Can you say those? Nope, not at all. Can you I say can, the first five? Uh, George Washington. John Adams. Thomas Jefferson. John Quincy. Nope. Damn it. Madison Monroe. Madison Monroe Quincy. Yes. Yeah. Can we go on? Nope. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. I'm terrible at that. Okay, back to what we were talking about. Yes. Whenever I play Fiasco, I really feel myself getting emotionally involved. So last time we played, I was a woman who was basically being blackmailed in a drug ring in a suburban community married to Wanda Sykes, who was a boss at a corporation who had- A, a nuclear plant. At a nuclear plant. 
that employed my drug dealer. Me. Dalton. And so as we were playing, my luck just kept getting crappier and crappier and crappier for my character. And like, you feel bad for the character. It's not like it turns you off to the game. It's not like you have these negative emotions you never want to play it again. But you empathize with the character so much. And I feel like that anytime a game can make you empathize or lead you to empathize with the character, the story or the plot line or whatever's going on, that just makes the game even more richer. And it's a component that, not that every single game needs it by any means, but it's a component that not many games have that really make it a more fulfilling experience for me. So you're a big fan of role-playing, not necessarily role-playing games in the terms of rolling dice and stuff, but you like to role-play, to be your character. I like to feel the emotions. Be in character, yeah, and have to have the emotions and have those conversations as the character. Because emotions inform you so much. It's almost like your sixth sense, not to get all therapy, but the purpose of your emotions is to inform you. And so if you can use your emotions as part of the board game to understand what is going on, it just makes it a game that's experienced on a different level than many others can offer. I can see that. If that makes any sense. It does make sense. Definitely. I don't think I have many. I'm not the most emotive type when it comes to board games. However. Then again, I am a therapist. That's true. However, I find that when playing Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, that it really puts you in the mindset of you're trying to best Sherlock Holmes. You're trying to do better than he is. You want to figure this puzzle out. You start to become invested in beating him to it and figuring it out faster than he can. And I feel like that's the, it's not necessarily that I had an emotion of sadness or extreme happiness or frustration with it. It was more of like, almost like a pseudo pride where I had this, I had this will to succeed. I had this, I don't know, gusto. What would you call it? (laughs) The gumption. The gumption. The gumption. To try to do as best I could and try to beat Sherlock Holmes to finishing the case, try to be faster than he could, do it better than he could. So I think that's probably mine to answer that question is Sherlock Holmes consulting detective always makes me want to do better than Sherlock and it gets me kind of in that mindset of just, I don't know, I don't know. I think I explained it well enough. (laughs) I can't find the exact term I'm looking for. I don't know if the listeners will get it if they don't see your left hand moving as much as it has been. My left hand's moved a lot because it's less likely to hit the microphone than my right hand but that's okay. I think that that is going to wrap up the episode pretty nicely. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games podcast. And thank you to Hub Games. Hi, Michael and Rory. Yes, thank you to Hub Games for supplying the review copy of Holding On, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr. I just want to say that both Michael and Rory are very kind people. We really enjoyed meeting with them and playing with Michael at Gen Con. And Yeah, if you ever get the chance to meet them, you're a lucky son of a buck because they are some neat people to get to know. They were very nice and make fantastic games. And I have a feeling they're going to keep making fantastic games. So thank you again for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at Malthouse Games on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those. We have our YouTube channel with our reviews as well as the podcast and some other stuff. If you would please like, share, and subscribe to us on there. Go to iTunes, give us an awesome five-star review. We are also awesome to announce on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify premium user or a Spotify free user, and you would like to listen to us on there because it's easier for you, you now can, finally. If you have any topic you want us to cover in an episode, or a question you want us to answer, or any kind of thing you want to talk to us about, 
email us, contact at malthousegames.com. If you want to follow me personally, I am at Delton Brack on all social media, and Haley is at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. So thank you again for listening to this podcast episode. We will see you guys next time. So until then, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. Goodbye. See ya. See ya.